I don't have any slides, but I'm going to be uh, trying to get you to look at the words in your Bible. So if you didn't bring it, open one that's in front of you or peek over, uh, saddle up next to your neighbor uh, that has one. Hopefully you have one or can find one. So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians as uh, Pastor Rob usually takes a few weeks off in July. The elders were talking about who would uh, preach, and I volunteered to take one or two or three weeks. And as I thought about what to preach, um, I didn't have anything burning, but we have been reading, as you, those of you that are here regularly, have been reading through Ephesians as a body each week. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll take something in the book of Ephesians. So immediately what came to mind was this passage that Larry read this morning, interestingly, in God's sovereignty, uh, in chapter 4 and verse 22 through 24. And that's kind of where we're going to land the plane this morning. And so what I typically do when I think about preaching something is I'll pull up the church website and see what, how did Rob handle this before? So I pulled up Ephesians and started scrolling down and got to Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. And lo and behold, my name was there. So I actually preached this section. Uh, when Rob was preaching through it uh, back in 2016, he was just systematically making his way through and he took one of his regular breaks and I just picked those verses up. So I thought, okay, well, this is maybe I dust that off and I, I tried to look at it fresh and then dust it off and I think I was mostly right on the first time around on it. Uh, but it got me thinking about a couple of things. One is I was like, well, do we need to hear it again? And I was reminded of a couple of uh, charges from both Paul and Peter. Paul says in Philippians 3.1, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe to you. And it reminded me that we are always picking God's words up again and again and again, and we need to because it's, it's no trouble for us to preach the same things, but it's safe for us. One of the recurring commands in the Old Testament that flows into the New Testament is God telling his people, remember, remember, remember. And so often we forget. We forget of God's goodness. We forget of what he's done. So it's safe for us to look afresh and again at God's word. And Peter said similar things in 1 Peter chapter 1. He wrote, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right to stir you up by way of reminder. I will make every effort so you may be able at any time to recall these things. So this is why we don't preach something else. We continue to preach God's word over and over and over again because we need the reminders over and over and over again. So that was my first thought. The second thought is I wondered who was here in 2016. So a little participatory. This is challenging for us that have a tough time raising our hands, but I'm going to have everybody at one point. You should either be in the first group or the second group. Some of you, I asked Jonathan at the wedding on Friday, and he couldn't remember. So if you can't remember, that's okay. But who was here as a regular attender or member at First Street at the end of 2016? So October, November, just raise your hands up. Kiddos too, if you were here. Okay, I'd say maybe half, maybe a little bit stronger. Okay, put your hands down. So those of you that weren't here, so either you're visiting for the first time ever, or you came sometime in 2017 or after, so raise your hands. Okay, yeah, I'd say half and half, interesting. It's kind of uh, interesting thoughts. It doesn't really matter. I'm just curious to see. So, uh, okay, great. Well, here's our tentative plan for the next uh, three weeks. We're going to land the plane this morning in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, uh, but there is so much foundational work that is done in the book of Ephesians in chapters 1 to 3 that there's some trouble that we'll talk about if we just dive right into the practical application without seeing these tremendous doctrines in chapters 1 to 3. We can 
get into trouble. So this morning, we're going to do a lot of pre-work uh, looking at what God has done in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and then we'll come to Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, which Larry read for us this morning. And then, Lord willing, the next two weeks, we're going to take the principles that we see in Ephesians 4, and we're going to apply them as we look at the latter part of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. Paul gives us a number of examples of how this principle of, I'll give it to you on the front side, that Paul tells us to put off, to renew our minds, to renew our spirit, spirit of the mind, and to put on. That's the principle he gives us in 4.22 to 24. And then the rest of that chapter and the beginning of chapter 5, he gives us a number of examples of these are things that you need to be putting off and these are the things that you need to be putting on. So I'm not sure yet, those messages have not been prepared, uh, if we're going to do one verse at a time, which we may, we may get to a command and just spend the whole Sunday thinking about it, or if we'll do two or three or four or five. But if you want to be reading ahead, read the latter half of chapter four and the beginning of chapter five, and that will be where right now the uh, boat is heading anyway in the next three weeks. So with that, as kind of an introduction, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive right into Ephesians chapter one. Uh, gracious Father, as we come before you this morning now to your word, Lord, we pray that you would help us to set aside the distractions uh, that we brought in this morning from the week behind us, that you would help us to set aside the distractions that are facing us in the week ahead. And Lord, as we open your holy word, Lord, use it to continue to transform us and conform us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we come with many heavy burdens, many things that are entangling us in sin. We pray that your word would do a mighty work in changing us from one degree of glory to another, even this morning. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1. So as I mentioned, Ephesians breaks down nicely into the first three chapters and the last three chapters. The first three chapters, heavy on doctrine, telling us a number of things that we're going to look at. And then the last three chapters, very practical, how this works out in the Christian life. And in three weeks, there's no way to cover all of Ephesians, obviously. Uh, but I wanted to point out three things that will set the table for us as we go into Ephesians chapter 4 from Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. So the three things are, in case you fall asleep in the middle of the sermon, Cam, Cam someplace around here, he might be sleeping. Uh, so the three things are, God is the primary actor. Number two, we're going to see what God has called us from. And then number three, we're going to see what God has called us to. So we're going to see in Ephesians 1 to 3 that God is the one doing all of the work. Uh, and then we're going to talk about what he's calling us out of. And then he's, we're going to look at what he's calling us to. So first, what God, or that God is the primary actor. And we can see this all the way through, but... I want to look specifically at a long passage, familiar passage, uh, but I want you to, as I read it, to see who's acting in these verses. So chapter 1, starting in verse 3, we're going to read all the way down to verse 14. And when we think about our lives, we most often and most normally think about ourselves. We think about our family, our relationships, our work, our finances, our general, our general circumstances. But when Paul, and when the Bible thinks about life, they don't think about themselves at all. They think about God. And that's what Ephesians uh, turns our eyes to uh, this morning. And everything is centered around God, not around man. So as I read Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, listen 
to all that God has done. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite, unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were, who were fir the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we see God is the primary actor in these verses. We often, when we're studying, and, and rightly so, we see the huge list of benefits that we receive, all of these things that we receive, but where we're receiving them from, the person that is giving them is the person of God. And we see all three persons of the Godhead in these three uh, or in these 11 verses at the beginning of chapter 1. We see God the Father, and I'll just put them in a list here. God the Father blesses us. He chooses us. He predestined us for adoption. He redeemed us. He forgave us. He lavished us with his grace. He revealed mysteries to us. He's given us an inheritance, and he is uniting all things in heaven and earth to Christ. God is the primary actor. When we come to the Bible, we so often are looking for us, and we're looking for application. And this is one of the reasons I didn't just dive right into chapter four, because it can be very man-centered. It can be very focused on ourselves. But Paul wants to make it crystal clear that God is the one doing this work. He is the primary actor, and it is all to the praise of his glory. Because he's the primary actor, he gets the glory. And you see this phrase over and over. If you look at verse six, and then verse 12, and verse 14, beginning of verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. And the end of verse 12, to the praise of his glory. And then again at the end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory. God is the one acting and God is the one gaining the glory, or he should be. Secondly, we see Jesus in all of the Father's actions and all of the benefits we receive, they are all in Christ or in him. Nine times, I should have highlighted it before I read it, nine times in these 11 verses, Paul uses the phrase in Christ or in him, over and over and over again. All these benefits are not about us, they're about God, and they're found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Paul uses this then 13, the, the phrase in Christ or in him, 13 more times through the end of chapter three. So the whole first half of this book is all about what God is doing in Jesus. And then you see, and we <clears throat> read it in verses nine, nine and 10, uh, that Everything centers around the person and work of Jesus. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time 
to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Everything is centered around the person and work of Jesus, not around us. Flip to the right in your Bibles to Philippians, just probably two pages over. Philippians chapter two. Again, familiar verses, uh, but Paul says the same thing to the church at Philippi. So Philippians chapter two, verses nine, nine to 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul says the same things over and over and over again. It is about God's glory. It is uh, Jesus Christ in Christ where these benefits are received by us and where God works in and through. And then we saw the Holy Spirit back in Ephesians 1 at the end uh, of the section we read, verses 13 and 14. In him, that's in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we are sealed by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He is our guarantee, guarantee of inheritance that we possess. Okay, so... God is the primary actor. This is through and through the Bible. We often, even as we're teaching our children, we often talk about the Bible stories and we talk about David and Joseph and these are good and they're good character studies but if we stop with focusing on David or focusing on Joseph, we're missing the point. All of these point to God working in and through these men's and women's lives. So every time we come to the Bible, we should say, what does this tell us about God and what does that mean for me? So God is the primary actor. Second, uh, what God calls us from. So God doesn't just talk about himself. He does talk about us, but it's all in the context of him being the primary actor. So what does he call us from? And I want to be, uh, I'd like to kind of skirt around this, but it's, it's inevitable. Like this is just what Ephesians tells us. And Paul does not sugarcoat. He does not pull any punches. He just comes directly at us about man's condition, about who we are apart from Jesus. And he makes very clear that there are people that are in Christ and there are people that are not in Christ. And those that are not in Christ, we're going to see, we're just going to, we're going to read the verses and see that this is a terrifying place that we find ourselves in apart from Jesus. And Paul makes it very clear that every man, woman, and child at one point was in this spot apart from Christ. So with that as a disclaimer, like be ready, this is going to be kind of a kick in the stomach. Uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 first, and then we'll see that Paul reiterates these ideas a couple of times throughout the book. So this is what God is calling us from. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And you... And he's going to come at the end of this and said, all of mankind. So this is everyone that's ever lived on the earth except for Jesus Christ himself. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
if you drop down to verse 12 of chapter 2, remember that you were at that time, before you were in Christ, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then from our reading this morning, flip over to chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. They, talking about spiritual Gentiles, those that are not in Christ, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So putting that all together, if I just read them in a list, before Christ or outside of Christ, we are dead in sin, we're following Satan, we're carrying out fleshly desires, we're by nature children of wrath, we're darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God, calloused and hard-hearted, we're pursuing sensuality, we're greedy to practice every kind of impurity, we're separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Ouch harsh words. And it's, the question comes to mind, is it really that bad? Like, are we really that bad? Is mankind that bad? And why does Paul spend so much time nailing these hard truths home? So I want to just touch on three things. I think the reason why Paul hangs out here so much and just drives it, and this just isn't Ephesians, this is all throughout the word, that we are in desperate need of a savior. But number one, the reason why Paul hangs out here is that we don't believe it. We really don't. We think that we're good. And we compare ourselves to man rather than to God's perfect standard. Flip to the left in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. So first book of the New Testament. Leave a mark in Ephesians. We'll be back there. But a couple of passages from Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 and... Chapter 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus' famous, most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 46 to 48. So the context here is Jesus is telling his followers to love their enemies. And he says in verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So as we compare ourselves man to man, we can always find someone that is, quote unquote, worse than us, right? We can say, well, at least I don't do that. Or at least I don't treat my wife this way or fill in the blank. So when we compare ourselves across the board that way, we don't believe this. We read these truths from Ephesians and we're like, I don't, I don't think I'm that bad, but the standard then Jesus gives us in verse 48 of chapter 5, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So the comparison isn't me versus you or you versus me. It's us as mankind versus a holy and infinite and perfect God. And that is the standard. And so when we look at the truths from Ephesians that we're living apart from Christ, then we see, oh, like I'm clearly not perfect. None of us are perfect. And 
That's the understanding. Now, without this revelation, without God telling us in the book of Ephesians and all throughout the scripture, we would misdiagnose the problem. We see, we understand that there are things wrong in the world. We look around and we're like, why? Why is there all this pain and suffering? And we'd misdiagnose it. We'd think that the problem is out there. It's because of that bad person or that bad person. But Paul wants to make it clear that the problem is in here, that each one of us Romans 3 tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the first reason Paul just drills this home is because we don't really believe it. We think that we're good, but God's word is very clear that the standard is perfection and none of us have reached that perfection. So he wants us to just see our desperate need. Okay, secondly, so number one, we don't believe it. Number two, the reason he hangs out here is that, and this is why I started here, is that if we try to conform to the commands in Ephesians 4 to 6, or any commands of the scripture, if we try to do that in our own strength and our own efforts, thinking that we're good and that we will accomplish these things, but we're still in our sinful condition, not only will they not be accepted by God, they are going to be condemnable. So flip just one page over, probably Matthew chapter 7. And this is exactly what happened. This is one of the most frightening passages, I think, in all of the scriptures. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Again, Jesus, this is towards the end of the sermon. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So if we stop there, it looks like, oh, we just need to do some good things and then we'll be accepted. But then the frightening part, verse 22, On that day, on that judgment day, when we stand before God, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The reason Paul hangs out here so much is he wants us to see that if we try and conform to Christ without the Holy Spirit of God working in and through us, we'll not only be, um, not only be, Uh, not accepted by God, but we will be cast out by God. He wants us to see our desperate need. And that that leads to the third part. We will never understand the gospel. We will never understand the good news unless we understand the bad news. Unless we really truly understand our condition apart apart from Christ. We will never embrace the Savior if we don't understand that we need to be saved. So those are hard truths. And Maybe I've offended. Hopefully God's word is the one that has offended. And if you are offended by those words, I'd challenge you to look at God's word. And is this what it says? And I think you'll find that it does. But here's the glorious news, right? Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, where we started, if you get back to Ephesians 1 to 3, talking about that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we once walked following the course of the world, that we're following Satan, we're sons of disobedience, We all lived in this way, following the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And he just like teased this thing up for the most spectacular but God in all of the scriptures in verse four. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the glorious news of the gospel. Is it bad? It's horrible. Is our condition apart from Christ bad? It's not bad. It's, it's unimaginably bad. But the glorious news is that Jesus came, and we know that the penalty for sin, the wages of sin, is death, that we all deserve to die, but Christ died on our behalf. So this is the glorious news of the gospel that will seem, if we don't understand our position, it will seem unnecessary at best and maybe lackluster. Uh, that we, oh, it's nice that Jesus, right? It's the Bible story of Jesus dying and rising again. But it's not, if we understand our condition apart from him, this is the most glorious news that God the Father made us alive in Christ. He sealed us by the Holy Spirit and this is all to the praise of his glory and not to ours. Okay, let me just pause there for a brief application. I know we need to keep moving, uh, but do you believe this? And if you don't, I'd, again, I challenge you to study the scriptures. It's easy, again, when we compare ourselves uh, against those out there to not see ourselves as bad, but when we compare ourselves to God and to his perfect standard, this truth of Ephesians makes all the sense in the world. Secondly, are you in Christ? Have you come to the point where you agree with God, repented of your sin, and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, then he's inviting you today. Like, you don't need to wallow in this sorrow. Come to Jesus. He says, come to me all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. By his grace, even today, God will transfer you from a life of sin and death to eternal life, from darkness to light, from hopelessness to eternal hope, to being without God in the world, to being united to God in Christ. So for those, that leads us now to the third point. So one is that God's the primary actor. Number two is what God is calling us out of. He's calling us out of this old life. That's what we'll see in Ephesians 4. But now what is he calling us to? And he calls us to, it's the very next verse in Ephesians 2. So we just talked about our condition. We talked about what God did for our condition, that it had nothing to do with us, but it was all by grace that he saved us. And then what is he saving us to? If you look at Ephesians 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he saves us out of this, and now he's saving us to good works. Not good works that are effective in making us right with God. We can't be right with God because of our good works. That's what Ephesians just told us. But he now, when we are in Christ, empowers us by his spirit to do the good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you notice that phrase at the very end of that verse, that we should walk in them, this is in direct contrast to verses 1 and 2. If you look back up at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We were walking away from God, apart from God. Now he is telling us to walk in Christ and to walk in the good works that he has prepared for us. And then Paul takes this phrase to walk and just follows it through 
chapter 4 and chapter 5. And in the Hebrew, the equivalent is to live. This is just how we are to conduct ourselves. It's not like a physical walk that we go for a walk. It's how our lives should look. Our lives should be marked by the good works that the gospel produces. So I want to show you that, and we'll, we're just going to read them kind of straight through. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. So focus on the, the word walk. Paul uses it over and over again, over again. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. And then Colossians 1 uh, verse 10 says exactly the same thing. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. But then in Ephesians 4.17, we saw this in our reading this morning. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So you're no longer doing this, you're walking in a different way. And then drop your eyes down to, uh, let's see, it's all over the place. Let's go to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then drop down to verse 8 of chapter 5. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then verse 15 of the same chapter. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So Paul says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do, but instead walk in this way. Walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. This is what he's calling us to do. So that, finally, that's all in an introduction to the next two and a half sermons. Uh, I'm more than half. Don't, don't worry. Lunch won't burn in the crock pot. Uh, so now we get to Ephesians 4. In verse 22, and God tells us a very, gives us a very specific um, process. If we ever were able to find in the Bible a three-step process, this would be it. We get to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21, and he tells us that we are to put off, we're to renew the spirit of our minds, and we're to put on. So if you look at Ephesians 4.22, it reads, to put off your old self, referring back to all those things that we read about. This is, this is the old way, the way we were before being in Christ, which belonged to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So we're to put this off. So I'm not a, I think Connie's with the, with the kids in the back, but she still reads out of the King James. And I'm not a huge King James guy, but one word that the King James has that I love, if you flip over to Romans chapter 8, is the word mortify. So this putting off, we sometimes think, oh, we'll just kind of set this sin aside. It's not what the scripture is telling us. It's telling us to put it completely away, to kill it, to mortify it. So if you look at Romans 8 and verse 13, if you're working around, get through the gospels, Acts, Romans. Romans 8 and verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, that's mortify, the deeds of the body, you will live. So when we're putting off, this isn't a casual putting off. This is a all in, like swords out, I'm cutting off and putting 
away. Colossians 3, 5 says the same things. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he goes on to list a whole list of uh, vices. So what this looks like is we identify what the sin is. We say, this is sin. God calls it sin. I recognize it as sin. I'm confessing it to God and to man, and I'm putting off, I'm repenting and turning and pursuing something different. So that's our putting off. We're going to come back to these uh, next week in application, uh, but that's our first step to put off. And then secondly, back in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23, he tells us to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This renewed in the spirit of your minds, it could be probably multiple sermons, but maybe some of you think of another place in the scriptures in which this renewal of mind is talked about, and it's in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2, many of you know. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we renew our minds? We renew our minds by going back to the doctrine. It's interesting where this shows up in Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's right after 11 chapters of huge, heavy doctrines, right? And then he comes to Romans 12 and he says, renew your minds in these things. If you've put off and now you're renewing your minds, it's get back into the doctrines and see what God has done. Understand your sin, understand the Savior and what he has done for you. And same thing in Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians 1 and 3. See who God is, see who you are, renew your minds in these truths. Remember Remember, remember what God has done and who you are. Remember that God is the primary actor. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Ephesians 2, 4 to 9. Remember what God has called you from. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. That the condition of man is a life of sin separated from God. And then remember what God has called you to. That he's called you to good works. So this is how we renew our minds. Is we just go back to the same old things and remember what God has done and what God is calling us to. So again, we'll talk more about this uh, next week, but I want to make it clear because, again, when we jump right into the practical application, it can look like, okay, God saved us. He brought us out of death and brought us into life, and now it's us that now we need to do some things, and that's not the way... God has it worked out. God not only saves us, but then he empowers us to do these good works. It's not us picking ourselves up by our bootstraps. And Piper wrote it this way. I'll just read his quote, John Piper. Transformation, so this changing from the old self to the new self, the putting off, the renewing your mind and putting on. Transformation is not switching from the to-do list of the flesh to the to-do list of the law. When Paul replaces the list or the works of the flesh, he does not replace it with the works of the law, but with the fruit of the Spirit. It is easy for us to say, okay, I know that this is bad and I need to put these away. And it's then equally easy to say, okay, well, I'm just going to do better. I'm going to do better in my own strength. And that is not what God calls us to do. He doesn't want us to replace uh, these vices with another set of law that we try and do in our own strength. God, through his Holy Spirit, is renewing us, both in our salvation 
and our sanctification. We must continue to lean into the Holy Spirit who is the one working all things together for his glory. Again, we'll come back to there and spend more time next week. But the third uh, aspect of this, put off, renew the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true holiness and righteousness. So now, trusting in and empowered by the Holy Spirit, what do we do? What do we put on in replacement? Because if we put off and renew our minds and then just try and leave a vacuum, that's what many world religions do is they try and remove things from them to become empty. But God says, don't do that. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And so what should that look like? And how we know is we go to the Word of God. What action or what fruit of the Spirit should be replacing this sin that I put off? Read, and this is what we're going to do next week, and hopefully the week after that. We're going to take an example, and we're going to say, okay, this is what we're to put off. This is how we're to renew our mind in the Word, and now we're going to study out what God would have us do and what He would empower us to do to replace it, that we might be more like Jesus. And then as we see it in the word, we pray. We pray and ask God fervently to change us, to make this not just a list of do's and don'ts, but to really transform our hearts that we might be more like Christ. And then as we lean on the Holy Spirit, it is not us getting the glory, but again, it reflects back to God. God, who is the one that saves, he is the one that sanctifies, he is the one that changes us from one degree of glory to another. Okay, finally, in closing, flip to uh, Romans chapter 13. This is just a, a parallel passage, kind of a summary of this putting off, putting on. And I want you to notice at the end of the reading, the very essential thing that we are to put on is Jesus Christ himself. This is what Paul tells us, that we are to be clothed in the person and work of Jesus, not in our own works, but in what he has already accomplished for us. So Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 12. The night is far gone, the, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off, that's that put away, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We're going to war against our sin. Let us walk properly, Again, that phrase, walk, walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is our call to walk in holiness and to walk in holiness by the power of the spirit that works among us. So as in, in application, just restating what we've talked about, do you agree with God's assessment of man? This is hard to swallow. It's hard to swallow in our culture because you talk to any Joe on the street and the, the sense is that we're good people and we don't understand, we don't agree with God on this. So I challenge you to consider that. Number two, are you in Christ? Have you, do you recognize that and have you come to the place where you've repented of your sin and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, don't, don't leave today with at least talking to someone Talk to me or talk to someone that brought you or someone next to you about what it is like to live in the person and work of Jesus. And then for those of you that are in Christ, are you walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? 
Are you actively day in and day out, moment by moment, mortifying sin, recognizing that your sin nature is still clinging on to you? And until we are glorified, it is going to be a process of cutting off, putting aside, renewing our mind in true doctrine to go back to the truths of the scripture and see what God has told us. And then are you seeing God produce the fruit of righteousness that these things bring about? And then as you see God doing that, are you praising him, not focused on yourself, but praising God for the work that he has done in you? Let's pray together. Uh, Father, these are uh, heavy but glorious, glorious truths. Lord, we see you as the primary actor in these texts that apart from you, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we are darkened, that our hearts are calloused, that even our good works are but filthy rags, that our ability to meet your standard of perfection is an impossibility. But you, in your great mercy, at the right time, in the fullness of time, sent Jesus to die for us. And we thank you, Lord that you have paid the penalty for our sin, that we might walk in newness of life, not in our own strength, not in our uh, own abilities, but in your Holy Spirit empowering us to walk as you have called us to walk. So as we continue to look at these truths from Ephesians and apply them to our lives, we pray that you, you Holy Spirit, would awaken our minds more and more to these truths, that you would continue to conform us to Christ, that we might enjoy the laundry list of benefits that you have given us, but that we might not take an ounce of your glory. But may we point it all back to Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.